Tonight we're looking at Joshua chapter 5, I believe, is where Matthew said we needed to start tonight. And uh, so it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their hearts melted. And there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. A lot of times when you're reading the Bible and uh, the Old Testament, when you read uh, something about the Canaanites or you read something about the Amorites, most of the time those terms are used synonymous. They're talking about the same uh, people. The Canaanites were descendants from whom? Ham, yeah, uh, Noah's son, right? Uh, or descendants of Canaan, who was the fourth son of Ham. He was so, uh, Canaan would have been the grandson of Noah, right? And that's who descendants that we're talking about here, they, they chose to uh, uh, settle uh, around the Palestine, Phoenicia uh, area, as they dispersed out back in those days. Uh, the Canaanites, uh, there's uh, something that we remember about them, I guess, because uh, Noah placed a curse on the Canaanites, didn't he? You remember? When Ham and his two brothers came and saw the nakedness of their father, the other two did what? They covered him, didn't they? But Ham didn't do that. He saw. And so a curse was pronounced upon him, uh, and his, his people would do what? Serve the others, wasn't they? If you go back in Genesis and and reread all of that, uh, you'll see that the descendants uh, of uh, Shem and Japheth would eventually be served by the descendants of Ham through Canaan, of course. So that's the curse that was placed upon him, and, and Noah, the grandfather of Canaan, pronounced that. And uh, if you uh, look back in Genesis chapter 9, verses 20 to 27, then you can read about that. Now, there was a promise made to a man in the Old Testament that the land of Canaan would be given to him and to his descendants. Who was that? Abraham, yeah. Abraham was promised by God that... Uh, the land of Canaan would be given to him and his inheritance as, uh, or his uh, descendants as an inheritance. Did Abraham uh, ever live permanently in the land of Canaan? No. No, he didn't. Uh, he, he didn't inherit it. His sons didn't literally possess the land. But as time went on, 
And as we're getting to where we are here in the book of Joshua, the children of Israel, and of course Israel was, what was his name first? Jacob, yeah, he became the father of the Israelite nation. Uh, the Israelites then would inherit Canaan as a permanent place of residence. So that's where we are here in the study of Joshua chapter uh, chapter 5. Uh, the reaction of these uh, Amorite kings, Can Canaanite kings, is kind of interesting, I think. Uh, they were mighty people, uh, but yet, did they necessarily express a fear for Israel because of their military might? No. Uh, what caused them to fear the Israelite nation coming into Canaan? God did, yeah. And what event did they mention here in that reading just a moment ago in verse 1 that caused their hearts to melt? Yeah, coming over the Jordan on dry ground. Now, Dwayne saw the Jordan River. At times, it's not much. Well, I don't know if it's as big as Roaring River or not. Sure. Yeah. But in flood stage, it's much, much bigger, much wider, much harder to navigate. And it was during that season, that time of the year, when the floods were there, that God brought his people there and parted the water that they go through on the dry ground. Now, the kings of these uh, Amorites and Canaanites, they knew that. And so they, they uh, their hearts melted, this, the scripture there says. They feared because of what God had done for them. I think it's also interesting there that it says there was no spirit in them. Now, a person with no spirit, what, how, how do we view them? What? Depressed. Yeah. No energy. Uh, and sometimes if there's no spirit within a person... Uh, we might say, get up. And as Alma said, depressed, what happens? Yeah. And you want to die, you know. And sometimes, sad to say, it does lead to one taking their own life. But their spirit was gone. Uh, We could say they were mighty low too, couldn't we? All of that because of the children of Israel, as the latter part of that verse says. Now, not necessarily because of the children of Israel and the magnitude of their number. Now, the Israelites would have numbered two or three million people probably at this time. And I think their army was composed of somewhere around 600,000 soldiers. 
So they, you know, they were a force to be reckoned with. But yet that's not mentioned here in these uh, verses. But what is mentioned, they had heard what the Lord had done, right? And as a result of what the Lord had done for this people, the Israelites, they felt that way. So you would think that in the heart of the enemies of Israel here, who possessed the land that the Israelites were going to take, they had a little bit of respect, didn't they, for God? I think so, in view of the way they responded to what happened. Now, just like with uh, this nation of people when they came out of Egypt and came to Mount Sinai, at Mount Sinai, there were certain instructions given to them that they had to do this and they had to do that and get themselves prepared for God coming down on the mountain and give the law. You remember that? They had to wash themselves. They had to refrain, you know, from relations uh, with their spouses. Uh, uh, they had to do a lot of things to prepare for the event that was going to transpire on that mountain. Well, before the conquest of Israel could start and Jericho could be taken, there were certain things that Israel needed to observe and needed to do. And so the next section there that starts in verse 2 has the Lord saying to Joshua, this is what you've got to do. We've got to go back and pick up the covenant that was made between God and Abraham. You remember first Abraham was called Abram in Genesis 17 when uh, the name is changed from Abram to Abraham and the promise reiterated that God would give them the land of Canaan as the promised land. The sign of that covenant or agreement between Abraham and God was the act of what? Circumcision. Yeah. Now, we've got some males in the children of Israel's uh, midst here that have not submitted to the rite of circumcision. It seems, as you read the text, for the period of 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness, this was not observed. Uh, there are various speculations as to why that was so. I guess one that's most often given is that at any spur of the moment they were to be ready to move. You know, they just didn't stay in one place, but they moved here and they moved there and they wandered all over for those 40 years. Well, if, if the uh, uh, males were circumcised, then there's a period of time that has to be there for, as the text here tonight says, made whole or get well. They couldn't move at that time. So that's one of the speculations as to why circumcision was not carried out during the period of the wandering in the wilderness. I don't know if that would be, I mean, it sounds reasonable, but it may be for some other reason. God didn't tell us that, so we don't need to know. But what we do need to realize is that 
that Joshua recognizes that that was a valid covenant between God and Abraham and a covenant that was still binding upon the Israelites even after the law of Moses was given. So that's what this section of the chapter uh, is, uh, is about here. Every male child, eight year or eight days old, and uh, had to be circumcised, and at that time they were given uh, their names. Whether they were born in your house, the Bible says, or bought with your money from a foreigner, or slaves in your household. All males, eight days old, were to be circumcised according to that covenant that God made. Now, the, you read this section. I'm not going to read that verse by verse there. But it is the preparation of this people for God giving them the victory in Jericho. But certain things need to be set in order first. Uh, the Hebrew people... Uh, throughout the Bible, they, uh, they took great pride in circumcision. Uh, to them, it seems as you read the scriptures after this covenant was given, that it was kind of a badge of their spiritual and national superiority. Now, a lot of them kind of viewed it that way. And... I'm not sure that God meant it that way because God's a compassionate God and he did at times have his people reach out to others and, you know, express compassion toward them. Rahab, for example, is going to be one of the recipients of the compassion of God when Jericho was destroyed in chapter 6. But Gentiles in the days that we're talking about here, were regarded as the uncircumcision. And that was a term that was kind of disrespectful to them and implied that anybody who wasn't of the circumcision was outside of God's love. So, you know, if you weren't circumcised, God didn't love you because you didn't observe his covenant that was made with his patriarch, Abraham, and brought on down through Moses and others. And we know that Moses observed that because uh, uh, of what happened with his situation. And eventually then, uh, that, those terms circumcised and uncircumcised were emotional uh, terms. Uh, they were charged with emotions and, you know, it brought uh, problems even centuries later. It brought a problem even when the church was brought into existence, didn't it? You remember uh, that uh, some of the Jewish brethren in Acts were teaching that in order for one to be a Christian, he had to be circumcised. And that's what the Jerusalem conference was about in about the 15th chapter, I guess it is, of the book of Acts. Uh, and, and they came up and set the Jewish brethren at Jerusalem, uh, the apostles did, straight. 
Uh, and when you read, uh, well, Galatians uh, 2, and if you turn to Colossians 2, verses 11 12, uh, you'll read that circumcision does what? As far as Christianity goes, nothing. Uh, in, that, uh, in that verse uh, 11 and 12 of that chapter, you read about that, and then chapter 3 of Colossians in verse 11, in Christ where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. So in the New Testament, once the church was brought into existence then, this covenant of circumcision, as far as the literal and physical aspects of it, were done away with. But circumcision may be synonymous in what we uh, think of in the New Testament as baptism. Because in baptism, what do we do? We cut ourselves off from the flesh, right? The old man is crucified, is done away with, and we become a new creature in Christ. So we could correlate that in, in, in that way, I think, as, uh, as well. Uh, when you look at uh, verse... Uh, Four here in Joshua chapter 5 tells you the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. So, uh, all the people that came out of Egypt uh, were circumcised. Now, why did, uh, why did they die in the wilderness? What? Yeah, they were disobedient to God. And God said, because you're disobedient, you will not see the promised land, right? Now Moses disobeyed God and he didn't get to enter the promised land, but God did permit him what? See it. Yeah, he took him up on the mountain, didn't he? And looked over into Canaan. He saw the land, but he didn't get to enter it. And these folks that murmured and they complained uh during their time here, uh, in this period we're talking about, disobeyed God and God said, you will not enter the promised land. Now those born in the wilderness then, that those that were, how old was it? You remember? 20 years and under, wasn't it? I believe 20 and under. They were permitted to go into the promised land all over that except for Joshua and Caleb, who were the two faithful spies that were sent by Moses, the spy of the land, came back with a favorable report, yes, we can take it, 
because God is on our side. And you remember the ten said, no, we can't. People are too mighty. We can't do that. So they didn't go. And that's what brought about the wandering, wasn't it? In the wilderness. But anyway, this is the reason why this was done. And the reason why some who were in the wilderness did not get to go into the promised land. Alright, so when that was done, this was what the Lord said to Joshua. Verse 9. This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal. Dwayne, did you visit Gilgal on your trip? I don't so. Okay. Uh, if you've got a little map, it is just about a mile north of Jericho on your map. Uh, in your Bible, okay? It's about a mile north of uh, Jericho. Uh, northeast. And it is the place, according to chapter 4 and verse uh, 19, where Israel camped when they crossed the Jordan River. Uh, the name means circle of stones or rolling. And that definition fits two important events that, uh, that took place there. And one we talked about last week, and that was the establishment of the monument, you remember? They picked up, each tribe picked up a stone and brought out, and they set up a monument that would... Uh, be a reminder to the people and to their children that they crossed the river here and, and uh, uh, to be given the promised land. And then, of course, the event we just talked about, the circumcision of those uncircumcised from the wilderness. Now, the second thing about Gilgal, it's the location where the next thing in this chapter takes place, and that's the keeping of the Passover. Why was it in, uh, important for uh, the Israelites to observe the Passover? What was the Passover all about? All right, God set this up as an institution, did he not, when the Israelites were going through the plagues that were going on in Egypt, so Pharaoh would let the people go. He'd turn down nine of them, you know. He'd made some bargains. Yeah, you can go, but you can go a little piece. Yes, you can go, but you can go without your children. And, of course, Moses said, no, everybody goes. So the tenth plague was what? Death of the firstborn. Now, that's where the Passover comes in, right? God told the Israelites what you're to do, you're to... Uh, Take this lamb and you're prepared a certain way and do all these things with it and the blood of it, you're to do what with? Put it over the lintels and door, doorpost of the, of the houses, right? And when the deaf angel came through, what would happen? Yeah, pass over that house because of what? The blood. The blood, yeah. So the Passover was instituted 
and symbolized the Passover that we just talked about there in Egypt. And in recognizing that, the people would recognize that it was God who delivered them, you know, at that time. And of course it was given as a feast that they would observe. Well, uh, it's, uh, let's see, what day of the month was it? The first, the 14th day of the month. Was that the first month? Uh, 14th day, don't say there, does it? 14th day of the month at twilight, you observe the Passover, verse 10. But anyway, uh, that was a feast that was to be recognized each year, right? At that certain time. Uh, was that observed in Jesus' day? Yeah. Christ himself observed the Passover, didn't he? Uh, now, do we observe it today? No. What we observe is, uh, is the death, the burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? And if we were to say our Passover meal, which we don't have a Passover meal, but that would be found in what? Lord's Supper, wasn't it? Because the blood of Jesus is what cleanses us from our sin, and that's what that fruit of the vine represents to us. The blood that our Lord shed for each of us on the cross. So the Passover was an important feast from the time that God set it up in the book of Exodus when they left Egypt and was observed all through Old Testament times. Now we don't know if they observed that in the wilderness or not. Uh, again, because of the moving around. But before they took the land that they were going to settle in, that was one thing they needed to do to prepare themselves for what was coming. So they did. They observed that. Now look at verse 12. What happened when uh, they observed the Passover? Something they'd been receiving for quite a number of years stopped, right? I don't know about some of you, but my senior meal stopped today. Tomorrow's July 1st, and there's no more free meals. Uh, the manna ceased, right? What was the manna? That was the bread from heaven. Some, uh, some uh, referred to it as angel food, didn't they? It was a white, uh, I think it's described as a white coriander seed uh, in the Old Testament, but it's kind of a wafer. Uh, and that's what God fed the Israelites with in the wilderness, right? You know, they complained they didn't have nothing to eat, so he gave them manna, uh, then quail or meat. Uh, what happened if they gathered too much on one day? It ruined, wasn't it? God said, you've got a specific amount you can gather. If you gather that, you'll be sufficient for the day. 
But he did allow on the sixth day what? Double it so they'd have for the seventh day, the Sabbath day. So that meal that God had provided for them all during the wandering period, that, that ceased. Why was there no longer a need for that? Because they were going to be where? In the land of Canaan, and it's described as a land that did what? Flowed with milk and honey. If you remember some of the uh, reports that the spies brought back, they had clusters of grapes that it took men on a pole to carry, you know. Uh, and all of the grain and so forth was plentiful there. So they were going to have plenty to eat. And God even told them one time, you'll have this in, in fields that you didn't plant. You'll live in houses that you didn't build. All this sort of thing. And that was true, wasn't it? All come to pass just like the Lord had promised them. So God had made a promise. God was going to keep that promise. They ate of the parched grain on that very day uh, and unleavened bread. The manna ceased. They ate of the produce of the land just as God had promised them. Now verses 13 to 15 of the chapter In chapter 1, when we first started this, what did God tell Joshua? Be of good courage. Be strong and be of a good courage. What would you do if you were about to invade a land and you're going to be involved in a war, fighting literally with your hands and whatever weapons you might have, if you encountered a man who had a sword drawn, what would you do? Be a little leery of them. Had a tree there handy, we might hide behind it, right? Uh, or a rock. I'd run. Well, he might run faster than I could, Louise. I don't know. But you know, you think about these things. What Joshua do? Yeah. That's exactly right. He went up to this uh, commander of God's army and he wanted to know, are you for us or are you against us? That's basically what, what he wanted to know. And uh, here's what was said. No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And when Joshua heard those words, what did he do? He fell on his face to the ground, didn't he? And worshipped. And said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Who was this person that appeared to Joshua? It says he's the commander of the Lord. Who is the commander of the Lord? Be Jesus, right? We know that it was not an angelic being because angelic beings were created by God, right? And angel worship has never been directed by God, right? Yeah. So if Joshua fell on his face in worship, who is to be worshipped? 
God is, yeah. And, and Jesus is what? The Son of God. He is God, isn't he? So, it would seem to me that we could logically conclude that the commander of the Lord here, or of God, was the Lord himself. And he's going to give him instructions. He said to him, take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy. Well, you ever heard that before? Yeah. Uh, Moses received those words in the burning bush, didn't he? You know, you're standing on holy ground. Take off your shoes. Well, there's some other things that we wanted to get into, but we're not going to be able to do that. So maybe we've covered chapter 5 in uh, a way that uh, will help you to understand a little bit better not only the history uh, of this people, but the fact that the things they were able to do, they did not because of themselves, but because of the power of the God they served. All right, thank you.